This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a special day here on Pantsy Politics because it is election day and it is also a weird day because mm-hmm. so many people have done so much work to allow our elections to happen and now there is nothing left for us to do. If you have voted, we just have to sit and wait together. And sometimes we sit and wait in a lot of anxious space. After the 2020 election, we released an episode called Patience is a Political Act. And so we're trying to embrace that sentiment again today. Sarah and I are talking a little bit about how we're trying to do that physically and emotionally and spiritually. And we Mm -hmm. hope our processing invites you into your own journey. We also are sharing a conversation with our Secretary of State from Kentucky, Michael Adams. He has been out there doing the work talking to people Mm -hmm. about being confident in the voting process. And we know many of you are serving as poll workers or election monitors today. We want to celebrate you. We hope this conversation with Secretary Adams reinforces the good work that all of our election officials across the country are doing. And then outside of politics, we're going to share our approach to the very controversial issue this year of holding on to Thanksgiving and fall and the coming December holidays all together. Before we get into the show, we just wanted to say thank you in the spirit of gratitude around the Thanksgiving season for all the birthday wishes and support the way you guys shared our show in celebration of our birthday and continue to share our show and recommend it to people is such an incredible gift. It is why we are here. It is why we continue to do this work with all of you. We could not love you more for your incredibly beautiful messages about what the show has meant to you. It just, I felt like I was a floating on a cloud for these last two weeks reading these birthday messages. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for helping us celebrate. Next up, we're going to hear about Sarah's Ballot Club, and we're just going to kind of work through all of the feelings that accompany the waiting that we have to do after an election. So many feelings. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. 
And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Sarah, as people are listening to this episode, they will be voting and waiting for results. And we both spent the weekend kind of marinating, I think, in our feelings about this election and about all of the election coverage. And I think we both had some insights about that that we want to kind of workshop with each other today. So I'm going to start with you. What is bubbling up for you as you wait? It's just weird out there, man. It's weird because we are taking in all this very stressful election coverage about how high the stakes are. But we're also like moving through our lives, which are kind of intense right now. I don't know how it is where you live, but my kids are off from school today because there's so much flu circulating around in our community. And so it's like this pull of everyday life that keeps pushing us forward and pushing us forward in this sort of background, very intense energy surrounding the election. And I got in this space Partly because I held my ballot club and I was gathered with people who do not consume politics the same way I do. And I sort of started thinking about that and how many people in America are like that, right? That politics is this this background noise, this, this circus happening in the background. And what I thought is, oh, okay, so that is why they don't feel the intensity I feel around the Republican Party because they don't see things through a prism of partisanship. They see things through a prism of politics. Everything is politics. So if things get extreme in one party and I'm in the other party and I'm thinking, how can you not see this? Well, that's because they don't see through that prism. They see everything as politics. It's the same reason the worst Donald Trump got, the worst Hillary Clinton got. You know, and it's like they're all everything's as bad. It's all corrupt. Everything's messed up. And I, I, I can hear that from people. And I can hear this sense of of politics. That's how that's how they see things. And politics is messed up and the politicians are all bad. And that's why it can sort of feel like you're screaming into the void if you are more absorbed in that space and you see things through like differing levels, particularly the layer of partisanship, that you're like, what are you what what are you talking about? I think the ballot club and, you know, just being in this community and thinking about this helped me realize that. That's why it feels like I'm banging my head against a wall, because I just have a very, very different lens through which I'm looking at everything, including this election cycle. I have had a similar experience just living in my community. We also have a lot of sickness here. Our good friends have a son who they know has strep. And all weekend, they could not get him in anywhere to treat it. They know what it is, and they could not get anywhere to get it treated. And it's so frustrating. And I feel that way even when we're talking about prices. It it feels like at this exact moment when we really need governance tuned in on those issues affecting our lives— that it is off on this other planet of Mm -hmm. much higher-minded issues in some ways and much lower-minded issues in some ways. 
Chad and I have had this ongoing conversation over the past week. He is very upset about the White House's Instagram presence, okay? okay? He does not appreciate how much partisanship is coming through on the official White House Instagram account. And I do not disagree with him at all about it. And I still find myself pushing back on him. I'm being really annoying. I'm annoying myself in these conversations <laughs> because I keep saying, right, but here's what's mm-hmm. going on with national Republicans. And here's why I think that's worse. And I have to stop myself because I hate it when people talk to me like this. Yeah. And I am doing it. Here I am doing it. But I finally said to him, I'm so sorry. You are right about this. I agree with you about this. I just also feel like the only thing I really want right now is to know that we are going to elect people who, if they lose their next race, will concede. It's all I want. (laughs) And that is so depressing to me that it's all I want. And it's so depressing to me that that feels really tenuous and really called into question right now that I'm losing my sense of how to behave. And so on the one hand, you know, Chad is one of those people for whom a lot of it is noise. He is not as interested in this as I am. And there are so many benefits to that perspective. And so I'm trying to both be in the advantages of his perspective and the advantages of mine. And it does feel like being slowly roasted or something. You know what I mean? I just, I can feel myself getting hotter and harder and more intense. And I don't want to be there. I feel myself clinging to perspectives that lengthen my timeline because election cycles compress them. Election cycles tell you right now is the worst and tomorrow is all that matters. And I'm just going to tell you right now that is never true. It is never true. And I have had the universe sort of like serving that up to me several times. So you and I both had the same conclusion from our ballot club that it is depressing that so many of our partisan races are unopposed. And you know what my 82-year-old grandmother said? That's what it was like for decades with Democrats. There were only Democrats running unopposed on our ballots for Democrat for decades here in Paducah, Kentucky. And I thought, you're right. You're right. This is not new. This is not new. This has been this way for lots and lots of American history, right? And I had this other moment where I was listening to The C Word, my new favorite podcast, and they were talking about Mary Shelley. And did you know that in the summer of 1816, a volcano erupted? I think it was somewhere in Europe. And there was so much ash, it disrupted the weather patterns for an entire summer. They call it the year without a summer. It was winter and summer. They had electrical storms. It was dark all the time. It had to feel like the end of the world. And we don't even know about it. Like, we don't even talk about it. Like, think about what that must have felt like to the humans on the ground at that moment in time. And, like, we don't even—it's not a thing we teach. It's not a thing we talk about. Like— I just have to remember that constantly. The things that happened hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, they're not a page in a book. There were humans on the ground living them, and they had a shrunken timeline just like I did and just like I do. And I just have to connect to that constantly and remember, like, the sun will rise on Tuesday and Wednesday. Or maybe it won't. Maybe we'll have a solar flare. I don't know. But, like, we just, like, I just have to ground myself and remember that this is this is there are much bigger forces at play, good and bad. We have survived so many things as a human race and as Americans. And 
in a certain way, seeing politics as noise, being able to look at the parts of politics that are noise is beneficial. It's beneficial. It's helpful. It's a helpful perspective. Not always, and it can't. All, and it's not all noise, and some of it matters. But I really do wish we could drop this, like, it's the most important election ever. Like, stop, because you're going to tell me that in 2024, too. I know you are. So just don't. Don't do that to us. Like, acknowledge where some of this is the paradoxical reality that both noise, relevant, it's all true, right? And I think that that's just, it's hard to hold. It's hard to hold when you're being bombarded with, like, message after message and Ron DeSantis is calling himself blessed by God in an ad and you just kind of want to scream. <laughs> I was obnoxious about that, too, with my husband. I well, made him watch it's it. Obnoxious. it's obnoxious. It is an obnoxious ad. I showed it to him and he was like, I mean, Democrats run crazy ads, too. And I said, do they? Have you heard one where someone claimed to be anointed by God? I haven't. I mean, I think people felt that around the Obama election. I don't think they said that, but I think people felt it. I was thinking about that over the weekend, too, because as much as everyone loved that moment where the woman yelled at him that he's still fine, and then the Internet did its thing with that, right? I feel like such a buzzkill because that took me back to the 2008 election. And do you remember the the ad about him that Republicans made? That he's the biggest celebrity in the world. And I, then they nominated Donald Trump. Oh, I do remember. Yes. So let me kind of work out my <laughs> thought process with you. Like, I loved that ad at the time. I remember Chad and I seeing that ad together and looking at each other and being like, yep, yeah, this disturbs us. We don't like what's happening here. Now, I think we believed that the Republican spirit behind that ad was, we don't do this cult of personality mm-hmm. business. Not, oh, let's go get someone who is like a living antonym to him and do this yep. to, a you know, 10x. And it just, I think that that continual processing of what has been happening over the past few years is what is like sinking through my body right now. Mm. And it helps me to realize I'm doing that and so is everybody else. That this election, as much as I want to put it in the context of just this moment, cannot be just about this moment. Yeah, It is about all of us working out whatever our window of time is. We're all working out different windows. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how to bracket any of them. I was just listening to Ezra Klein. He had an economist on talking about inflation. And at one point, the economist said, well, we're coming out of a plague. And I thought, one, I kind of appreciate the use of the word plague because that puts it in greater historic context for me. And two, when you study events like that, they are bracketed with years-long periods. And I think somewhere in my mind, I have decided that COVID-19 – ran from March 2020 until, I don't know, six months ago or something, and now we're, like, finding our way out. But that is probably not how it will be studied, right? It's a much bigger Mm -hmm. chunk of history than that. And do you not remember when the scientists came on and said, we're still studying the 1918 pandemic? I remember that in my cells when she said that, and I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're going to try to wrap our brains around this in two months, and they're still going to be studying it in 100 years. So it's helping me to be less spun up because I do feel myself getting spun up. I feel myself getting spun up about the races that feel obvious to me. 
is it not obvious that Carrie Lake cannot be the governor mm-hmm. of Arizona? Is it not obvious that Herschel Walker mm-hmm. cannot be the senator from Georgia? So I feel myself getting spun up about those races. And then I just have to remember, it is just not about whatever window you have drafted, Beth, for this the present. It's about everything, always, and different versions of everything for everybody. Yeah. And it's this weird paradox when you think about Obama or when you think about Carrie Lake, that the people who can push through, break through that noise, that's an incredibly powerful gift. And listen, we've all watched enough Marvel movies. Not everybody uses their power for good. And it's this, and it's this weird, you know, it's an emotional power. It's not a policy power. Now, my personal politics say we got lucky with Obama because he could do both. He could do the emotion, and he was like a technocrat, right? Like he loved the policy. But it's like you're, you're, you're paying for that, right? Like the sort of messed up paradox of democracy is the people who can push through emotionally, but the, the promise of democracy is policy. And so when all the dreams don't come true, people are like, but wait— but that they don't want to pay attention to the policy. The only way you can reach them is emotion. But they, they can feel the impact. Like, it's just such a—it's a weird system we're stuck in. That's the word I used on our newsletter over and over again because, you know, you, you pass these big laws. It takes decades for people to see the impact in their life. And then how are they going to connect that with the emotional message of a politician in the moment? Like, but unfortunately, I don't know a better system. <laughs> I can see more profoundly the inherent weaknesses and risks in our system, but I don't know a better one. And so I'm just going to have to keep plugging along with this one through every election of a lifetime that comes every two years. I thought SNL was pretty good this week. I think it's pretty good right now in general because so many of their longtime stars left at once that they have to try some new things. And it's it's funny. It's funny to watch them try some new things. But they did this sort of thought experiment in the cold open of like, what if Democrats decided to replace their candidates with Republican-like candidates in this cycle. Mm. And so instead of Raphael Warnock, what if it was Guy Fieri? (laughs) You know, or what if Stormy Daniels was running as a Democrat in Michigan instead of Gretchen Whitmer? And and it was funny. And and when it ended, Chad looked at me and he was like, I liked that. That was funny. Well, listen, folks, that's a problem. We don't have any stars anymore. Too many Raphael Warnocks and not enough Herschel Walkers. Which is why we're going to make some last-minute changes before Tuesday with the Democrats who are exciting. Got that sizzle. For example, he was a mayor of Flavortown for over 20 years. Guy Fieri. Woo! Listen, man, America's hungry for change. But do y'all want Dr. Oz's crudite or a full plate of paid family leave? Dripping in donkey sauce. Full throttle. Woo! (laughs) Love that guy. Dream job. Dream job. Tired of Gretchen Whitmer? We'll meet your next governor of Michigan, adult film star Stormy Daniels. And it hit him as a non-political person because I think it, in a different way, said, things are kind of ridiculous right now, aren't they? But it wasn't yeah. like in your face, 
sanctimonious. We have all the answers on the Democratic side. It was just kind of like, I mean, aren't we at least trying to put up people who want to do this job instead of people who just want to be famous? And so that's the sort of strategy that you need somehow, but it cannot come from the parties. I don't know. It's just a mess. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I do not want to hear Tuesday, Wednesday, what Democrats did wrong. I'm happy. I don't want to be a party that never does that. I do want a postmortem, and I want to think about what we could do better. But when you are talking to a portion of the the populace that only sees it through a political lens, then you have to think about how that influences how people see you. It can't just be this sort of party-focused analysis because there's so much more acting on people than just what the Democrats have decided to do electorally and what kind of candidates they've run on. It's all connected. And so, like, you have to acknowledge that. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do a postmortem. I'm not saying that Democrats can't do things better. What I am saying is where we are at, where a small portion of the population can swing control so dramatically, and that small portion of the population does not have a hyper-partisan lens— then we have to give ourselves a break and realize that there are forces acting on voters that are way beyond the control of people buying ads or even the candidates themselves. I also find myself frustrated in conversations with Chad or anyone else because I don't want to just peg all Republicans on all ballots for all offices across this nation as one thing. We have in Boone County some very good Republican candidates for local office. We are about to talk with a state official from Kentucky who is a Republican who I think has done Mm -hmm. a very admirable job in his position. It is not all one thing, just like Democrats are not even close to being all one thing at this moment in time. And so I think part of this just irritation that I feel around elections comes from that inability to spool it out and be as fair to everyone as you can possibly yeah. be while also being clear about what the stakes are. It's it's a mess. It's just a mess. It's a mess. And that's what it, it's just, but it's our mess. I wouldn't pick it's another mess. mess. That's right. You know, I have so much, you know, increasing sympathy and understanding for that the like the Federalist Papers and how they were just like, but what what we can see what's going to happen here? What are we going to do, guys? Like, yeah. I just kind of feel like, you guys, we can see like what's happening here. And so much of this is because we have decided to form a democracy with 330 million people like and they were worried and could see the problems with a lot smaller number. And so just like give us a break. Like just give each other and other voters and other parties and this democracy a break. What we're doing is a heavy lift, and there's not another system that's doing it better. I don't look around the world and go, they figured it out. And so I just think, like, as at each election day, I just come, a, I become a little more sort of sympathetic and just like, man, what a mess. I, I've, I've left that behind where I felt like politics was the solution to fix the problems of humanity. Like, I have I have released that. The work here we have done on this podcast has allowed me to just stop using the verb fix around anything involving our politics and just to sort of see it as, you know, just a it's just a big old experiment in human history. And every election reminds me of that even more profoundly. Well, speaking of the work that it takes to manage this imperfect but best idea we have system. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk now with Kentucky Secretary of State Republican Michael Adams about 
all of the people across our state and across this nation who are very, very busy facilitating the democratic process. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Secretary Adams, we so appreciate your time today. I wanted to ask you, given all the experience that you have over the past couple of years, how have you prepared differently if at all for this election than than the previous hmm. it's really been night and day and, and let me put this into a little bit of perspective in in 2020 we had clearly the most difficult election uh, we'd ever had 
uh, with COVID striking and other states, unfortunately, had mm-hmm. a lot of problems. We were fortunate to, to not have those. But even in all of that, we only had two county clerks that quit. Two of them that said, wow. you know what, I can't do this anymore. I can't take the stress. I'm, I'm resigning. This year, we had nine. And that's that's in the year where their term is expiring anyway. They're all up for re-election this year. And so they could have just retired, but they still quit. They went out of their way to just walk off the job because of the stress. And so at coming out of 2020, I thought, man, every election from now on is going to be a breeze. We could do 2020. And actually, this year's been harder. That's mm. uh, kind of a, kind of disappointing. And I hope they don't stay this way. But right now in this current political environment, I think it's going to be really hard on all of us to keep running the elections because we're all under unfounded suspicion all the time. And everything yeah. we do, look, I welcome scrutiny. I think that's appropriate, but it gets out of hand, unfortunately, sometimes and people feel really uncomfortable and undervalued. So when you're talking about that suspicion, which I think is a really, really good word for that, that unfounded suspicion and how that can weigh on you. I've been an elected official, and that's what I always say. Like when people are just doubting your motives all the time, it just wears you down. You are doing such a good job about talking about that, about talking about how our elections are secure and breaking through those myths, breaking through those suspicions. How do you do that? What are the most common ones you feel like you're tackling? There's two things I do. Uh, tactically to respond to this. One is I offer uh, technical explanations for why we do things the way we do mm-hmm. and correct misunderstandings about what we do and don't do. We don't use the internet to count votes. We use really old fashioned methods. We use calculators. We use we use bipartisan groups at every level from the top all the way down to the ground level, every precinct, every county, the board of elections at the state level, all bipartisan uh, checks and balances. So Number one, I discuss the substance, but number two, I try to humanize it. Yeah, I try to say, look, you're not just shooting at me, some disembodied voice on TV in, uh, in Frankfurt. You're attacking your local poll worker. You're attacking your county clerk. You know these people. Mm-hmm. You see them at the grocery. You go to church with them. Their kids know your kids. And so when you're accusing us all of some mass conspiracy to rig elections, you're not just attacking people you don't know. You're undermining people that you do know that are your neighbors. And and unfortunately, it's had its impact uh, on our recruiting. But I think that's the best way to, to really bring home to people that this is this is your own hometown that you're that you're accusing of this stuff. And people, they won't buy that as easily. So you mentioned those officials who quit this year. And I think that is a really compelling statistic that, that you had more people quit in this cycle than the COVID cycle. I would love to know what you're hearing from those local officials and, and particularly what they need from citizens who want to be supportive. Well, I don't want to oversimplify. There's two real primary reasons that these clerks are quitting. To be clear, one of them is the abuse that they're getting, and it really raises their blood pressure in a couple of ways. You know, one is the open records requests that come in. People demand election records going back seven years. and and uh, But the other is these frivolous lawsuits that we've had mm-hmm. demanding recounts. It's an, an enormous strain on, on a county clerk to run an election. That's why we only have two a year. And when you have to rerun the last election over and over again, mm. you just don't have the budget for that or the time for that. It ends up impacting your ability to run the next election. And then if you make a mistake in that one, they'll say, see, we can't trust the system. Yeah. So part of this challenge is, is unfortunately the election denial community. But the other it, other part of it is, is partly on me and those of us that have tried to make voting easier, which is we work the clerks harder. So it used to be you only had one day to vote and that was it. And now there's four. 
And then we added six more days for people that have an excuse to come in and vote. So that's now 10 days they've got to have personnel and locations for voting. And it raises their stress level. Uh, They're working harder than they've ever had to work and they're getting this abuse. So those two things together, unfortunately, run off some really good people. Here's the upside, though. In pretty much every case where we've had a county clerk either quit outright or just not run this year for re-election, that's about 23 clerks total. Uh, In almost every instance, it's the deputy clerk that's running or is appointed to that seat or the elections director for that clerk. In other words, we've got continuity. Yep. Not just getting a bunch of random people in these offices. And you've seen that in other states where uh, election deniers are running for these positions and taking them over and that help us. We didn't have that in Kentucky. We only had one candidate like that run in the primary and he got beat uh, pretty soundly. That's a real vote of confidence in our system, I think, and in our clerks. Well, and that's what it's so hard to sort out. How, as you're out there talking to people, it's hard to sort out sort of the signal through the noise, right? Where you have a lot of commentary from people on how they feel about the election, but on the ground, you know, you see that continuity, you see sort of, you have to acknowledge the feelings people have, but like you said, but also speak to what's actually happening. How do you navigate those two seemingly it's almost like two different realities like how people are talking about the election and what's actually happening i think you have to know your audience Uh, i've seen polling to this effect in my state other states where roughly a third a third a third people have different beliefs a third Mm -hmm. think you have a great system it works well we have a third that no matter what you say or do they will gainsay it and they get up every morning to attack the government that's their entire mentality they don't believe that the government is putting out uh, COVID vaccines, they don't have microchips. I mean, yep. they, they are paranoid about everything. So if I'm the government and I say something, they're going to conclude the contrary must mm-hmm. be true. And then there's a third in the middle and they just don't know what to believe. Mm-hmm. They hear it uh, on one side from me and the media and election officials, and they hear it on the other side from YouTube provocateurs and people with Facebook memes. And they're like, I don't know what's true. Uh, those are the people I'm focused on reaching. Uh, they lean conservative, but they're not all conservative but they all tend to have some level of suspicion against the government, but it's not one that's totally unreasonable that can't be combated if you give them facts. And some of these people file open records requests, but they're not, they're not far out. They're pretty legitimate ones. And we'll, we'll invite them to come in. We'll just give them a tour and say, here, we'll show you around, show you how this works. And they usually leave pretty satisfied and, and pretty uh, trusting of our system. And others are volunteering to be poll workers. And these aren't people that are, plants that are trying to disrupt anything. They're reasonable people that just want to learn more. And we welcome that. So there's actually been a narrow advantage to some of this and that it actually, to some extent, helped us find new poll workers and bring them into the process. Obviously, we're we're monitoring uh, the people that are coming in here, but uh, it is good to get some new blood. Uh, That's one of the biggest structural problems I've got in this job is civic volunteering is in decline, and that means it's harder to get poll workers. That's part of why we've tried to push the vote center model where we have fewer locations, but they're bigger, better locations with more parking, they're more ADA accessible. It's partly to expand access, but also because we need fewer poll workers to run one of those. Yeah. We do uh, to have 4,000 tiny precincts. When you talk about reaching people who are somewhat disaffected or in the noise, it's not the exact group that I'm thinking of, but I saw where you uh, told a, a media outlet here in Kentucky that of the new registrations that we're seeing in this cycle, and I know you're very proud to see how many new registrants we have this time, yeah. that the majority of young voters are registering as independents. Yeah. 
And I wanted to ask you, not from a political perspective, but as our chief elections officer in Kentucky, how are you thinking about that, especially when we have so many races here that are really decided in their closed primaries? I like to warn uh, both sides that you're not the majority. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have a majority in Kentucky. We've got two 45% parties. We've got Republicans at 45. We've got Democrats at 45. We've got 10% other. And and you've got a few libertarians or greens in that mix, but it's almost exclusively independents. Uh, The independents are the ones who are going to decide who wins these races. Not, Not every one of them. You've got obviously some red or blue jurisdictions, but at a statewide level, you can't win unless you get your base to turn out. Plus, you pick up some voters who aren't like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to be willing to reach across the divide and pick up some Democrats or some independents. Or if you're a Democrat, pick up some Republicans or independents. Otherwise, you're going to lose by 10 points. So I, I try to make sure that people realize that you can't just talk to your own team. Uh, and especially if you do that and you lose, it's not because the vote was rigged. It's because you didn't run a good campaign and you didn't reach out to people who aren't like you and move beyond your base. But of course, registering is only part of the equation. We've seen a big surge in independent registration, but at least what we've seen so far has not been independence at the polls. Uh, What we've seen in the first several days of early voting and with uh, a lot of the absentee ballots in is that independents are really unrepresented. They're registering, but they're not actually voting. Mm. Uh, It's premature to say if they're not gonna vote or not, They've got till Tuesday to do it, so there's still time. But what I hope doesn't happen is that independents just see the field and say, forget it and don't vote. And then you're going to have basically uh, disproportionate control by the fringe because the middle doesn't matter. Yeah. How do you think about voting reforms? We talk a lot on this show about ranked choice voting, but I was so struck by what you said about if we're constantly rerunning past elections, not only are we stressing our poll workers and sort of intensifying the process of the current elections. But we sure as heck can't think to future elections. Like we sure as heck can't think, okay, well, if we have a problem, what are some reforms that would work? Because, you know, that's not that's not a way to build trust and sort of the momentum for reform is just to keep relitigating past elections. How do we get out of that? If we think that there are improvements to be made, how do we start focusing on trust building and reforms? I think the starting point there's two things. Number one, you want election officials at the table. Mm. Uh, you don't want outside groups coming in with their own little agenda. You want election officials that know how this stuff works uh, at the table. And number two, you want both parties at the table. And what Kentucky has done that's unique that no one else in America is doing federally or at the state level is we're bipartisan about it. We put these in ours in every meeting we have. We get both sides and we come up with a solution that both sides like. And I think that has an impact on how the public receives what we do. So, for example, in the early voting, there's only about a maybe a point and a half difference between Republicans using early voting and Democrats using early voting. That's a real, a real bipartisan seal of approval, as I see it, yep. that you don't have one side accusing the other side. So you know, Republicans used to be resistant to early voting. They said oh, it helps Democrats vote. And Democrats have been against it. They say, oh, well, Republicans want to vote in person. This gives them more days to vote in person. You just you can't look at it that yeah. way. You have to put the voters first and then bring everyone to the table and say, can you live with this? And would you do anything to make it any better? And so we did that in Frankfurt. We got almost unanimous support. I think we lost one Democrat. I think we lost maybe three Republicans when we passed election reform last year out of 138 legislators. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're seeing both sides embrace the reform. 
So I think you, you can't start with one party or the other party saying we should change the law to do that, uh, this or that, because it begins to look like it's, uh, there's an attempt to rig it. Mm. And even if it's coming from an honest, sincere place, it's just not a good look when one party proposes their own version of what the election ought to look like because the other party doesn't trust them. Yeah. How do you think that happened in Kentucky? Why are we the only state that's been able to do that? Well, it's not an accident. It's something I did very intentionally. When uh, COVID first hit, I went to the legislature and I asked Republicans and Democrats to pass a law to let me and the Democratic governor, I'm a, I'm a Republican, uh, to allow us to solve the problem together. Mm. Uh, and by a bipartisan margin, they did that. And then I worked with the governor in good faith uh, through 2020. And I think that's part of why Kentucky had a record turnout is voters on both sides trusted the system. And even when the election was over and one side clearly did better than the other side, the side that lost didn't, didn't question the results and didn't refuse to accept the legitimacy of the election. And I'm really proud that our candidates in 2022 haven't been doing that either. You've seen in some other states, the candidates are are prejudging the election and saying it was rigged before the votes are even counted. We don't have any of that in Kentucky. We don't have Democrats saying that there was suppression. That's why they lost. We don't have Republicans saying there was fraud. That's why they lost. Everyone's being really adult. <laughs> I really appreciate that. How encouraging. May that continue. Yeah. Right. Well, I hope so. I know that, you know, I think that that's incredible work you're doing. And I think focusing on the sort of person-to-person groundwork is so important. But part of the reason we had you on our show is because we watch how you go at this work on Twitter, which is a very different space. And I wonder how you think about why it's important to be in that like sort of social media space on Twitter combating this misinformation. And also, I got to ask you how you're feeling about Twitter now with new leadership and if you're going to continue that work there. Uh, the Washington Post asked me if I had fear about the new uh, the new Twitter in terms of misinformation being out there. And I said, they can't get any worse. <laughs> um, That's a good answer. Oh, they, they've been terrible. They've been, they've been really awful. They've been very unresponsive in cleaning up misin- mm-hmm. uh, misinforming comments that we flagged to their attention. Facebook has too. It's just been real frustrating that they haven't taken it more seriously. I don't know that it'll be any worse going forward than it's been in the past. It's been bad enough as it, as it is. Uh, we use Twitter and we don't expect to persuade people that are putting out falsehoods about the election, but we want to make sure that we're out there on record and we're challenging it. And there's a lot of people that follow our Twitter that retweet it, people in our state, out of our state. I don't mean to suggest that the average Kentuckian is active on Twitter. They're clearly not, but we do have disproportionate sway over the media and and influencers, uh, legislators, uh, local community leaders, uh, interest groups, uh, nonprofits, they follow us and they put out things that we're saying. And and again, not everyone's going to listen to me necessarily what I say, but if they see someone they know that's saying, you know what, this is right, the elections are fair, then I've got one more witness testifying to that effect right. and it's another ally that I've got to help sell our message. It's so true. It's such a good way to think about social media because we get in this like one-on-one, I'm, are you trying to convince who you're talking to? And you just forget the whole point is that everybody is reading. <laughs> everybody is watching. That's why it's social. Yeah, one thing I, I fall into is, you know, we, we get lots of nasty replies and and your temptation is to reply and correct it or retweet it and correct it. But on the other hand, then you're getting this person a bunch of new followers. Yep. So we do these things on a on a case-by-case basis. If we see something go crazy viral on its own, then we definitely want to be in the mix correcting it. But sometimes we just can't hit, uh, you know, every single one of them because all you do is just raise their platform. Mm-hmm. You've got someone who's 
challenged the government and you're responding and then you've elevated them. So these things sometimes are, are a little hard to determine as to whether that should be our action or not. Well, we're so grateful for those efforts and for the way that you conduct yourself in this position. Uh, it's a real asset to our state. And I'm just okay. wondering as we wrap up, if there are people who have thought about running for Secretary of State throughout the country, what would you say to them knowing how how difficult of a job it is? Be prepared uh, for everything you do to be highly scrutinized and challenged. That's kind of a good thing overall. I'm not upset about it. When I ran three years ago, the first question I always got was, what's your office do? That's kind of depressing, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. I want people to know what this office does. I want us to be held accountable. I want the public to know what we're doing and to offer feedback and question. That's that's legit. I want that. Uh, so that's overall, it's a good thing. But I, I certainly would caution anybody uh, running for this that the job's a lot harder than it used to be. I thought I was just going to cut ribbons and sign stuff and and go to events. But it's a it's a real, real job. And I guess the other advice would be make sure you hire several communications staff because mm. at least half of your job is communicating. Uh, making decisions is actually the easy part of the job. The hardest part of the job is communicating why you did those things and explaining yourself and correcting the record about them and informing the voters about how to take advantage of the things that you've changed. Yep. That's by itself a full-time job for several people. That is one of the best explanations I've heard for public office. That The decision-making is kind of the easy part, but communicating the decisions is the hard part. And I have to say, I am legally obligated to tell everybody that Secretary Adams is from Paducah, and he is out there yeah. making Western Kentucky so proud. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thanks. My pleasure. Great to be with you all. Thank you so much to Secretary Adams for joining us at what we know is an incredibly busy time. Next up, we will end as we always do by talking about what's on our minds outside of politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Sarah, in your heart of hearts, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are you living in the fall? Are you living in the Christmas season? Are you living in the winter? What is your heart telling you right now? And then how does that translate to your physical spaces? Let me tell you something. My heart tells me I don't have to choose. My heart is big. It can hold Thanksgiving and fall and the approaching holiday season. Because let me tell you something. That's what they do in other countries where they don't have Thanksgiving, guys. They just get like two months of holiday. And they're just, you know, holiday is big enough to to follow us through the weather patterns. You know what I mean? Like you and I took very different approaches this weekend. You leaned into Thanksgiving decorating. Over here in Paducah, my husband put up my 12-foot Christmas tree. But I also have my little Thanksgiving placemats out. You know what I mean? Like I don't, why, who's telling me I have to pick? Who is telling me I have to pick? I'm in charge here. That's all I'm saying. This is my favorite time of the year. I love Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I follow my heart, and that is my advice to everyone else. Do what you want to do. If you want to put up 12 Christmas trees and also a turkey on your front porch, do it. If you want to stretch Halloween out and let it sprawl through weeks and weeks of celebration, which I do, do. You know, Anne Helen wrote a piece this weekend about holiday sprawl. And halfway through, I stopped because I thought, man, the fundamental assumption here is that that's a bad thing for some. And for some people, it is. And please abandon it. I don't set leprechaun traps because that doesn't mean anything to me. But I freaking love Halloween. So let it stretch out for weeks. I'm happy to participate. But everybody's not going to be the same. Like, why can't we just... I love Aaron Moon. Don't yuck other people's yum, man. Like, I like that Halloween's kind of expanded because I don't want it to just be one night because I have too much fun and I want it to be bigger. I dressed up three different times this year and I freaking loved it. Look, the the, the things that we learned from the pandemic that I am taking with me 
are that you do not have to do the holiday the same way every single year. And that is yeah. a freedom I needed, that you can hold on to mm. traditions that are are really meaningful to you. But there is a lot of flexibility in how you observe from year to year, depending on your mood and Absolutely. how much time you have and how much money you have to spend on it this year and yep. how excited what everyone around through. you is. Exactly. Just yep. be a little freer. I decided this year that I'm really going to observe fall. And celebrate it through uh, soaps. Seasonal soaps is my way. I did like all the seasonal soaps at your house. I noticed, I took note, and I would like some more in my home. Thank you. So let me give you a couple of reviews because my my girls are really leaning into their Bath and Body Works phase. I'm powerless mm-hmm. to stop it, so I'm just leaning in with them. And so I have acquired some seasonal soaps. And I will tell you, my favorite for fall is the leaves scent. It is okay. fall in a bottle. It has a little cinnamon going, but it's not too strong. It's lovely. I also like sweater weather. Oh, I love sweaters. Doesn't the name just <sighs> – somebody did a good job. Someone in marketing should get a raise for sweater weather. Sweater but it's a really nice scent, too. Now, I also have mahogany apple. And here's what I've decided about it. It kind of smells like – you're on a date with a cute boy at an orchard in high school. You know how, mm. like, the cute boys would wear a little too much – it was yeah. like, it's a little too much, the mahogany apple. I'm going to use it all. But I'm really enjoying my my seasonal soap situation. Well, listen, here, you know, about f- probably three or four years ago, when we moved to our new house, I used to kill myself trying to put up all of Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. It was a lot. I worked from the moment I woke up till the moment I went to sleep to get it all up. And I thought, why am I doing this? First of all, I love Christmas. I would like more than 25 days of it. So I don't pressure myself to get it all up at once. It's just a, it's a slow trickle. The only thing up right now is our 12-foot tree. There are not lights on it. There are not decorations on it. Also, hot tip, um, this tree is a real pain to put up. And I told my husband, I said, I want to get a new tree that's easier to put up. And he was like, it's not that hard. I said, you want to do it? Yeah. Okay, so two years in a row he's put it up because I said, I don't want to put it up. I want to buy a new tree. And so he doesn't want to buy a new tree, so he puts it up. So there's a little hot tip for anybody who's like, man, I hate this tree and I want to buy a new one. (laughs) But that's what I do. Like, I just kind of like, I put out the sort of um, loosely holiday. Like, there's not a lot of sand. I don't put the Santas up till later. I don't put, obviously, my real tree up till later. And also, you know, I'm an epiphany person. So we celebrate the 12 days after Christmas until Epiphany. So I get like almost two months of Christmas. And you know what? It's a delight. It's too much work to do all that for 25 days. So like I love putting it up and letting it be around and giving myself time to put it up and take it down. Um, And I leave Thanksgiving up with it. It's like they're they're not some sort of forces that can't meet. You know, like they can be up around the same time. It's okay. You know, like and I used to put on so much pressure on myself to just... Put up all the Thanksgiving, let it be by itself, strip it down. But you know what? I love Thanksgiving just as much with my 12-foot tree. I had my family over for Thanksgiving and the 12-foot tree up. My mother and grandmother were scandalized, and I told them, I don't care. This is how it works in my house. You know what? Nobody cared. Everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Well, what you said is the whole thing for me. I'm not going to have any more days where I spend in the Christmas season just working on the season. I'm not going to do that. So I have adopted the practice for several months of just putting Christmas on my calendar once a week. And I mm-hmm. do some kind of Christmas-related task. So Just order a, a few gifts, wrap a few gifts, 
you know, address the holiday cards. Exactly. Yep. Um, Just a little bit of work every week because I'm going to get to December and be done working. That is my goal. I do not. I want to reap the fruits of my labor. Exactly. In December. And I am enjoying it. And I feel like I've gotten more thoughtful gifts because I've spread it out like this. Yep. I've, I've, Definitely gotten in the mode of if I hear someone say something that sparks a gift idea for me, I order it immediately. You brought me my Christmas present to Nashville. I did because it was the best time that I could deliver it to Mm -hmm. you. It's kind of like I don't know why it took me until I was 40 to get that as soon as the child brings the birthday invitation home, you order the gift. Otherwise, you're scrambling for the gift five minutes before the party. I don't want to do that anymore. Well, and it makes me sad because I think people then attach that feeling to the holiday and they think they hate the holiday. I'm like, you don't hate the holiday. You hate this position you're in. So just eliminate that. Eliminate the stress. Like, there can be some really beautiful parts. Same with Halloween. Like, well, yeah, it's stressful if you put off everything to the last minute. But, like, if you stretch it out, then you can enjoy it. And it just makes me sad because I do think they get linked they get put together when they're they don't have to be together. The stress yeah. and the work and the prep does not have to be with the holiday itself. Well, the other thing is, if you've been working on the holiday in these little bits for three months and something doesn't get done, it clearly wasn't important to you, and that's fine. Exactly. You can just let it go. Exactly, and it's like I think it's fun because it sort of builds anticipation. Yeah. That's why I plan my travel so far in advance. One, it helps. You know, I booked our summer places for Scotland and Ireland. They are booked. And I, like, love it because now I'm like, I got those that, listen, there is nothing I love more than a full future trips and tab in the Airbnb app. It just brings me joy when I open it and I'm like, look at those trips coming up, guys. And they're eight months away. It's far. But I just love it. And it just spreads the work. It spreads the prep out. It spreads the stress out. And you're just like, do a little bit. You find a moment. You're like, look at that. I got that done. You feel that, like, zing of accomplishment. It's not bottled up with all the stress of the time. I'm telling you, it's the best. It's the best. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's fun to check it off in my planner, too. And speaking of checking things off, we hope that you have checked off voting from your list today. If you haven't and you're listening and there's still time, please go do it. These races are going to be close, and we do need you to participate. And at the same time, we will all get through it together, no matter what the results are. Sarah and I will be here with you on Friday to process what we have of those results. And until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Lodow. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.